0: So there's a couple things to understand. So first of all, a manager, and I'm going to distinctly separate these two. A manager is afraid to lose their job. So if you do a great job, they're afraid they're going to be out of a job. A leader wants to lose their job because if I've done a good job raising you, chances are I got promoted and you replaced me. And if I didn't get promoted at that company... Other companies will realize just how smart I am.
1: How do young men like us optimize our lives in a way that lets us achieve success and meaning? Come with me as I interview top performers and delve into key areas of life habits, finance, psychology, health, relationships, work, creativity, and business. I boil the ocean of men's advice into usable wisdom in this podcast to give you the answers. My name is Blake Bottrell, and this is the Distilled Podcast. My guest today helps anyone land a job in as little as two days. He's so good at it, he managed to get hired by making a hiring manager take an admissions test for him while impersonating his brother. His brother kindly repaid him by kidnapping him and throwing him out of a plane on his 29th birthday. He managed to get someone a $430,000 raise in four hours, has some out of the box or in the box ideas to get hired, like sending a box of donuts with your resume in it to your prospective employer and he ran a call center that exceeded $2 million in sales in six months by annihilating poor corporate culture. Joseph Stetter, welcome to the show. Thank
0: you, it's an honor and a pleasure. And thank you for (laughs) such a beautiful summation (laughs) introduction.
1: So tell me the story of how a six hour conversation led to you being banned from using the word fantastic. So
0: a little bit of background, I was working as a stock trader and I used to answer the phone, it's a great day or it's a fantastic day. At the name of bank, my name is Joseph. How can I help you? One of my coworkers complained that me saying greater fantastic could be interpreted as the bank is making too much money. So senior management had three two-hour-long meetings to discuss whether or not I was allowed to say greater fantastic and decided it was easier to ban me than to retrain 120 traders on the floors. Now here's the, if I may just continue to that, the ironic thing to that. Is after the ban, one of the executive VPs came to me and said, Listen, Joseph, you're super positive, you're energetic, morale here is really low. I'd like you to create a social committee to help boost morale. And I said, Great, the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna organize a potluck because everybody loves food. And he's like, Yeah, but the most people here are bachelors, singles, they'll probably just give you five, 10 bucks and say, I'll eat what everybody else brings. I said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And I created an Excel spreadsheet. You know, this many people can bring drinks, this many people can bring cookies, this many people main courses. And logged off the phone for two hours and started with the senior executives. I said, I don't care if you make it, your partner makes it, your mom makes it or you buy it. But you have to sign up for something. I had the equivalent of four full boardroom, like long ones, worth of food. And I logged off the phone for two hours to organize the food in logical manner so that, you know, the meat is not beside the chocolate. And in the quarter, I won seven out of 10 contests, including answering 151 trading calls in an eight hour shift, right? The bank refused to give me my bonus because I was logged off the phone for four hours to organize the social event that the executive VP asked me to do, which is the epitome of really bad corporate culture
1: kind of thing. That Yeah, that just seems like the absolute epitome of bureaucracy and everything that you would think that someone organizing to boost morale and build off of the problem that they initially set out to fix, just I don't know how to wrap my head around.
0: Yeah, interestingly enough, everybody spoke about the potluck for the next three months, how much food there was, how much variety, how good it was to you know grab a cookie and come back to your desk. And in between the events that I created, created so much excitement That it's like, yeah, we've generated excitement, but now we're penalizing you for actually doing what we asked you to do.
1: You would have been better taking your bonus and just ordering catering for everybody, I guess.
0: Again, but the bonus comes every quarter and the bank has to (laughs) kind of release it to me. It's not a guarantee.
1: Yeah. What is the director of first impressions and why are job titles sort of next to meaningless now?
0: So it seems that we've become a society that everybody gets offended and everybody needs to be important. So I was working in private colleges where they wanted to make receptionists sound a lot more important. So they gave them a title of director of first impressions, which kind of gives the impression that this person's got authority and decision making, but it's not. You know, as someone who does both the individual in terms of helping as well as working as a a corporate culturist and through that doing recruiting, I just finished recruiting for uh, a new client of mine that needed regulatory and compliance specialists and it's amazing to me how many resume like profiles on LinkedIn I went through where pretty much everybody was a VP I was like wow there's a lot of VPs in the banking industry for compliance and regulatory affairs the the sad part is that their job title and their responsibilities to be very meticulous and very detailed right because it's checking that you know everything is compliant yet most of the like let's say of the 1000 LinkedIn profiles that I looked at at least 600 of them just had their name, their title, years of employment and the name of the bank that they work for with no actual this is the actual work I did which is to me like if you actually think I have time to send 600 people a message going do you do this or are you have
1: you done this no
0: that's you know redundant kind of thing
1: yeah so maybe that gets into a question I was going to ask later but what's my best way to stand out to a recruiter looking for someone to hire someone like yourself or LinkedIn recruiter or internal recruiter for a different company? What's So first thing I can
0: tell you is don't be cookie cutter, right? Everybody has had a career course or went to an employment center where they've been taught the government standard. Give me a cookie cutter resume. That's black and white. That uses what I call the five mistake cardinal sins of a resume. Number one, you use Times New Roman, Arial, or Calibri as your font because those are the defaults on Microsoft Word, let's say. Number two, you use the black dots or circles as your bullet points because those are the defaults that everyone's been taught. Number three, you have at the top of your resume uh, either titled kind of career highlights or skills where you write soft, fluffy you know I'm hardworking, dedicated, committed and team player with excellent communication skills and interpersonal skills. In 20 years of recruiting, I've met very few people that say, listen, I'm lazy, I'll show up late, none of my work will be any good, and I really hate people, please hire me. The only time that works is if you're related to somebody in the company or you're having an affair with them. Right. And you have to understand that all those words are also subjective because your definition of hardworking, Blake, and my definition of hardworking can be very, very different. So if I compare an accountant during taxi and that needs to work mandatory 80 hours a week. What's hard working for them, 100? To, let's say, a nurse that worked at the height of the pandemic that was doing four hours of overtime because there was such a shortage. Does that mean that the nurse is less hardworking than the accountant? No, because there's different levels of stress. So stop filling your resume with this fluff, right? The fourth mistake is that, especially if you switch careers like myself, I've switched careers nine times and jobs 18 times. People put a chronological or functional resume, right? Which again, if you're, let's say if I worked in call center because I built one, but now I'm trying to be a director of sales or something else, it's redundant to put the call center experience first because they're not gonna take me seriously for the sales role. And the biggest mistake of all is that people list their duties and responsibilities rather than quantify their genius. So I'll give you two examples for that. If let's say you're applying to be a receptionist somewhere, and since we talked about director of press impressions earlier, right? And you come to an employer and say, I know how to answer the phone. I hope the employer looks at you in shock and goes, really? A receptionist that knows how to answer the phone, especially in North America. I did not know that because unless you live in an igloo, a cave, or practice the faith of Mennonite, chances are everybody in North America knows how to press the green button. go, Hello. How can I help you, right? Now, if you have worked as a receptionist and you say, I know how to answer 60 calls a day with 12 different lines, I can measure 60 calls a day with 12 different lines. I cannot measure, I know how to answer the phone. So if you're applying through online forums like Indeed, which in my opinion is one of the worst places to apply for a job, more on that later, you know, you need the keywords. So if I use an example for my own career, You know, I can tell you I'm an excellent salesperson. I know how to do B2B, B2C, account management, relationship building, lead generation. I've worked in retail. I've done door-to-door sales. I've done, you know, car sales. I've worked in private education. I've worked in recruiting. I know how to do sales. I've given you a lot of jargon, but I haven't told you in math I'm actually any good at sales. But if I tell you a true story, I worked for a private college that before I came in, generated $530,000 in sales for the entire year. In one month, I generated $860,000 in sales from them. Which one would convince you more that I know how to sell? All the words or the actual examples, right? So in your resume, if you want to be different, add some color. Like if you ever watched the movie Legally Blonde, right? When Elle Woods or Reese Witherspoon applies both to Harvard and to the internship, she gives a pink scented resume. And everyone looks at good it's pink. It sent it, but they remember it. So if you add a little bit of color, change the font, change your bullets, add text box from Microsoft Word. Again, I'm not a graphic designer. These are simple things that are preset to give you personality, your resume, a little bit of personality. And then make sure that your statements are not just, I know how to do this. Give me proof of it, right? Just because you sold lemonade when you were 10 years old does not make you a salesperson for example, right? And so you have to understand that nowadays, the sequence of words and the results will determine
1: whether or not you're a manager or a director, because there's a lot of overlap in the words. It's all about how it's applied correctly. Okay. Tell me the difference between that one quickly from your experience between managerial level and director level. And maybe I'll break this out one step further is we can get into that maybe later, but what's the biggest needle mover for someone looking to go from a manager level position to a director level position, provided so manage- we're defining them as they right. should be traditionally defined? So
0: there's a couple things to understand. So first of all, a manager, and I'm going to distinctly separate these two. Yeah. A manager is afraid to lose their job. So if you do a great job, they're afraid they're going to be out of a job. A leader wants to lose their job. Because if I've done a good job raising you, chances are I got promoted and you replaced me. And if I didn't get promoted at that company, other companies will realize just how smart I am. Now, as a manager, you're in charge of the day-to-day kind of minutia, the technical, the the operational specific. The higher you go up the chain, the less you're involved with the day-to-day, the more you're in strategy, in vision. So if you are a manager right now and you want to get to the leadership side, you need to change the wording on your resume to show how you designed a strategy or implemented a strategy or created a new initiative or something that was, in essence, you were the visionary and you were able to communicate to the people what steps need to be done so that they need to do it kind of thing. So like, if you look at the title of director, VP, and I'm going to use IT as an example here. They don't actually code they don't actually deal with there even the project management they're not scheduling the different pieces of the project that's what a manager does they go we need to get this done in six months right and we need to make sure that when it's done it's going to do a b c and d right and so right now we need to make sure that let's say our coders understand these concepts manager go make sure that that's done right our let's say tech support have these resources, manager for tech support, go get that done kind of thing so the separation is less of the day to day I know how to do this, and more of here's how i'm moving the team forward here's how I'm kind of implementing change strategy concepts that whether new or you know refreshed, are producing significant differences in company operations kind of thing.
1: Tying that back to what you said earlier, is there a good like quantifiable metric that comes to mind as something that a manager should be paying attention to when they're looking to go after those director positions?
0: So again, matrix depends on the industry and the company and the type of work, right? So I'm going to honor my father. He passed away 12 years ago and I love kind of honor him. My father was a civil engineer. He was in charge before he passed of a project to tear down 16 apartment buildings and convert them into condos, right? So he can explain the logistics of running 16 buildings simultaneously kind of thing. Whereas in the manager, will talk about drywalls coming in today. He's not talking about drywall, he's talking about 16 buildings. So the, the key performance indicators or the key performance measures are based on what's the standard right now and what processes or what systems or what there, can you do to improve? So if, if I look at, again, and I'm going to use different professions here, engineering, right? Technically speaking, an engineer's job is to calculate ways to make things faster, better, more efficient. That's pretty much any job, your responsibility is to make things faster, better, more efficient, right? So it's not the engineering calculation that you're going to be doing. It's the, you know what, we should use this material instead of this material because we can save hundreds of thousands of dollars, but get the same, if not better output kind of thing. That's where leadership comes in is the leadership is not afraid to take calculated risks to be innovative. A manager is because a manager has specific A and B needs to be done and they need to be done in the next week or two. A leader, and as you climb the corporate ladder, will kind of go, here's my idea. Here's the resource that we will need. Here's a strategy that we will do. And I think this will create a huge impact on our company. And as long as you can communicate that and you get buy-in from different stakeholders, you take ownership of building that because it's your idea. And the better you execute it, the faster you grow as a leader.
1: So we talked about sort of biggest needle movers in terms of moving on the higher end, but what about someone who's, maybe what's the biggest needle mover for someone who's unemployed and someone who's potentially underemployed what should they be looking at in terms of where they should be focusing resources in order to so again
0: underemployed sadly right now in north america you have about 50 million people that are unemployed you have 50 million people that are severely underemployed i.e have a university or college degree but work at mcdonald's and then you have 30 million people going through some sort of education or Most people default to the worst place to look for a job, which is Indeed. Don't get me wrong, job boards are a resource. But if you're going to optimize your job search, percent of your job search should be online job boards. Okay, one job posting on Indeed gets between 350 and 5000 applicants. Most companies look at the first hundred and figure there's probably a few good candidates here. If you're 101 and you don't know the tricks I teach, so one of the simple tricks is even though most job postings in North America say don't call us, we'll call you, call HR and say, listen, my battery just died on my laptop or my internet's been wonky and it disconnected the moment I press send or I never got a confirmation. Can you please check that my application went through? The moment they check, congratulations, you're now first on the list. Now you already have them on the phone. You have two minutes to give your elevator pitch like, you know what? So given the highlight reel that you gave me, I built a call center from scratch that was supposed to generate $300,000 for the year, but generate $2.25 million in less than six months. I think I can do even better for your company. When are you starting to interview for the role? Now, they've also told you when you can start expecting to hear, and you've planted a seed of
1: interest. You've also put the ball in their court, and they have to make sure that they either tell you when or tell you no. And no one wants to say no over the phone. So, yeah, so no. that's the first thing. So
0: you've you've created opportunity, but again, so for example, a, a very important trick that the majority of job seekers do not know is most of the big job boards, your indeed, your career builder, your monster, your you know, there usually refresh their job boards between eleven forty five PM Eastern Standard Time and two forty five AM Eastern Standard Time. So depending on when you go to bed, go into your resume, press space bar and save it. The moment that you press spacebar anywhere on your resume, you've made a change to your resume. So the database looks at it as, oh, this is a new resume. And now you actually have chance of being seen because if you posted your resume, let's say in October, and we are now in January, you're probably on page 5,000, 6,000 of the database. Nobody sees your resume. Now, if you want to optimize your job search as a whole, of your job search should be online. 25% of your job search should be with employment agencies or recruiters because they already have relationships with companies, right? So register with at least six of them. The reason I say six is you want to take three like national big boys like Robert Half, Randstad, Hayes that have offices everywhere, and then three that are local or industry-specific to the profession that you're in. Now, under the understanding that I assume half of them will not like you. They won't like that you're younger. They won't like your experience. They won't like whatever. They'll dismiss you. But if the other three like you, they make commission to place you. So it's in their interest or benefit if you're a good candidate to start selling you to everybody that they know. 25% of your job search should be dedicated to LinkedIn and other social media. A lot of companies now have Facebook fan pages, Instagram pages that are very active. And because of the fact that they're very active, if you start engaging and posting interesting thoughts and ideas, they will reach out to you. They will find you because you're part of the conversation, right? And again, LinkedIn, you can also see who works in the company. You can see who potentially posted the job in the company. And you can do a little bit of due diligence when you even send the introduction email so apply online because it's a default get rid of you statement but then message the person that posted with a thought that is a little bit more not hey i'm looking for a job but like hey i noticed that you went to this university what was your experience like i would love to get some insights and then then share that you're also in the job kind of thing right 25% of your job search should be networking and referrals. So, for example, a lot of people don't understand the power of a board of trade or chamber of commerce that most major cities have. The people that usually attend there are usually higher level executives because it's pricier and it's more exclusive kind of thing. Right. But even if you join a lunch that, you know, normal fast food lunch is 10 bucks, 15 bucks and you're paying 25 bucks for lunch, you're having lunch with executives that are decision-makers, right? The Project Management Institute, same thing. Project managers, decision-makers that are involved in whatever industry you're in and whatever work you're looking for, right? Now, it's very important that even when networking, like I don't know if you're noticing maybe light inflection, but my shirt is purple. If you've looked me up, everything that's associated with me has purple in it because when I go to a networking event, there's always purple, Because when I send an email to follow up, even if they don't remember my name, when I say I'm the guy with the purple shirt or the purple bag or the purple pen or the purple this, they'll associate the conversation. And I also make sure that the conversation is very different than, oh, I'm looking for a job kind of thing. You know, there's an art to networking correctly. And then 15% of your job should be specific companies that you want to work for that You start, let's say, messaging people that work in the company. You know, I had a friend that graduated from mechanical engineering and had the catch 22 of, you know, congratulations of graduating university, but you need five years of experience for an entry level job. And so (laughs) he picked about 20 companies that interested him, printed his resume after applying online and went 9 a.m. to the first company and said, I'd like to see the director. Receptionist looks at him and said, do you have an appointment? He said, no. And he's like, she looked at him and said, he's in meetings all day. He goes, okay, fine. I'll wait. And he waited there till 2.15. At 2.15, the director came out and was like, I understand you've been sitting here all day waiting for me. How can I help you? And my friend gave him the resume and said, listen, I know you're not officially hiring anything. I, there's nothing posted on your website, but I've researched your company. I'd love to work here. These are the projects I did in university. I think that my skills would be very valuable for you. Within a five-minute conversation, he had a job offer, right? How many people today actually go in person to a company and try to speak to them. Now, there might be a few exceptions like, you know, Google, Microsoft, because A, security, B, you know, the level of reputation and due diligence that they do. It's also due diligence, right? There's a very, very famous story of a gentleman that was down in his luck, down to his last five bucks, interviewed to be a janitor or custodian at Microsoft, went through six, seven interviews. They were about to offer him the job, and he, they asked him, "Do you have an email address?" He said, "No." They looked at him, "What do you mean you don't have an email?" And he goes, "I've never needed one." They're like, "We can't hire you if you don't have an email address," which is an oxymoron because they should have just created an email address for him, right? He's like, "No, I don't have an email address," so he didn't get the job. He he left the interview going, "What do I do?" i you know, I have five dogs. and he saw somebody selling oranges on the on the street on the, there. So when he bought straw with his last five bucks, he bought strawberries and sold them for ten dollars. Came back the next day, took the strawberries, sold them for $20 and build an empire that he got married, had, you know, 50 trucks, had 100 employees there and had kids and decided to get life insurance. And he fills out the life insurance application and the the rep, the agent's looking at going, wow, this is great, but I noticed you didn't put an email address. He goes, yeah, I don't have one. And the insurance agent looks at him and goes, wow, you don't have an email address can you imagine where your life would be if you had an email address? And the guy says, yeah, I'd be a janitor for Microsoft or a custodian for Microsoft, right? So, like, you know, there's in sequence a level of, you know, be more proactive, do things that are a little bit differently, you know, so that you're noticed, you're remembered. You're having conversations that aren't, oh, the weather's great, or this, like, you know, if you're going to, like, a board of trade, start the conversation with, oh, you're an executive in the What made you so successful? What are your three biggest accomplishments? What would you teach, or how would you mentor somebody that's new to the industry? Now you've earned trust. You've earned the right to say, hey, I noticed that you're hiring, or will you critique my resume? And if you ask for a critique of your resume, they'll love you even more because they're writing the perfect resume that they want to see. And then you suck up and say, hey, listen, I've learned so much from you. I'd love to be part of your team and make you look good and produce results because, you know, I think you'd be a great mentor for me. But now you've asked for a job in a way that they're flattered. You've sucked up to them. They've bragged about how great they are. And by default, because they've bragged about how great they are, they like you. Most people just go into like you have no idea how many times I've gone to networking and people just go there to collect business cards. They're like, oh, you sound important. Give me your card. Like, I literally was an event where people were like, can I have your card? Can I have your card? And the next day, they send me an email. I took your card yesterday. Here's my resume. Can I get a job? Who are you? Right. So there's a level where part of what I share with people and try to get them to understand is, if you're doing what everybody else is doing, you're going to get the same result as everybody else is getting. If it's taking you six months to a year to find a job, and you're getting one interview every three months, your resume sucks, and you don't know how to look for a job, right? Because you're, all you're doing is job boards, let's say.
1: I love the sitting in the lobby waiting for the director example there. There's a fantastic quote that I heard a couple months ago by Zig Ziglar that says, there's no traffic on the Correct. extra mile. And I think that like really everything in life sort of boils down to that, but I think everything for sure in right and the job Waldo Emerson is said what lies before you and what lies behind you are nothing compared to what lies
0: within you right and so Napoleon Hill in the book Think and Grow Rich that every successful person has read at least once if not once a year talks about the importance of the extra mile talks about you know it's amazing what can happen when you do listen I built my career on that I like when I Again, now I'm married with two beautiful kids that are three and a half and one and a half, so I don't have the energy to go. But when I was younger, I used to be an <laughs> avid salsa dancer. And when I would go to clubs, rather than be like, hey, I'm a regular here, hook me up, hook me up, I would talk to the security guards. I'm you know, i in Toronto, Canada, so you know, we're experiencing minus like 10, minus 20 degrees weather. And I would go and I'd buy them coffee, I'd buy them chocolates, I'd buy them some donuts just to – you know you're working security to two or three in the morning and just kind of take care of them from a perspective of the human factor, right? Just me buying them coffee. They gave so when I came in, I was like, "Hey, it's my friend's birthday," and there was twenty of us. They brought all of us in VIP because I didn't come and say hook me up. I did. I served them first. You know, Napoleon Hill talks about that extensively uh, in his book Thinking Go Rich. When you are of service to other the universe will give you 10 times more than what you put out kind of thing. So when you have this mindset, it is amazing what can happen when, you know, you're going to networking and it's not me, 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 it's them, them, them. It's, you know, you're great. Tell me about why you're great. You know, you know, how many times do executives get to brag how great they are other than to their partner
1: or when they themselves are looking for a job. Employment trends, all the quiet quitting, acting your wage, bare minimum Mondays, What's the fallout from all this stuff?
0: There's a couple things that I think 2023 brought. So obviously the pandemic created a model where people now understand the value of their time in terms of working from home and not being stuck in traffic and, and going. It also created this hybrid model where you know companies recognize that you can still be productive when your people are at home because they're happier, for example. But I don't understand how we've become a society where ghosting both from the candidate side And the employer side is now okay, right? Like, you don't like the candidates say, I'm sorry, we've decided to go with somebody else. Don't waste people's time to that level and that degree, right? And as much as, you know, AI is exploding like crazy, like right now, and we now have in the US, I think it's five, six McDonald's that are fully automated, right? Yeah, we're not going to have retail jobs for high school kids and stuff like that. That's going to shift out. But... It's going to force, hopefully, society to start adapting and learning technology and using it in a way that's far more efficient and far more demanding on the jobs that are going to be created so that even the minimum wage jobs are going to change. Understand that, as I think Steve Jobs said, as well as several others, but he said, if you find something you love, you'll never work a day in your life, right? The more you start specializing in your genius, the more people will pay you for your genius. So if I use myself as an example, I've invested now maybe 30,000 hours to master everything there is to know about job finding. If somebody wants me to write their resume, I'm definitely on the higher and more expensive side of it. But if I can get you results in two days, you know, if you're paying me I'd say a few hundred
1: dollars to write you a resume, and I get you a $70,000 job in a week. You know, yeah, I don't think people take that into the equ- like, nobody ever looks at the front end of the equation. You could tell me you were going to charge me two grand to rewrite my resume and guarantee me that I'd have a job in a month that got me a $30,000 raise on what I have now. And I would be the stupidest person in the world to no, but not you take see, that. You, you said
0: something that's interesting, especially in my industry, is that everybody assumes they know how to find a job. Just like everybody in the world knows how to lose weight, it's not that complicated. Eat healthier and exercise. It's not that complicated, but sadly, 60% of the U.S. population is considered obese, right? Because we like our donuts and our pizza and burgers and whatever else. Now, you have to understand that just like hiring a personal trainer that you might go to the gym and do a certain workout, a personal trainer will push you beyond your comfort zone. I do the same thing for jobs. But most conversations that I have with people, the fear of the upfront cost for potential reward is what scares them, right? Now, understand that, like I've had, again, I've helped over 30 people kind of land a job within two days. You know, my wife was one of the success stories that when we first started dating she was working as a behavior therapist in a private center making minimum wage and they were giving her you know weird hours where she was working let's say nine to six and on weekends and if one of her clients didn't show up she was stuck for four hours they wouldn't pay her for those four hours and she wasn't allowed to leave she was working for a place where she needed to get 97 percent under her evaluation and she got 96 and she'd been working there for three years and they basically said to her we're letting you go right And she cried for a couple days. And then at the time we were still dating, I said, you do realize you're dating one of the top 10 career coaches in North America, right? Okay. I wrote a resume. We, I sent, or she sent seven resumes out on Sunday, Monday, three companies called her and scheduled three interviews for Tuesday. On Tuesday, she had three job offers, all of them for more money than what she was making with better conditions. Thing. But sadly, we are creatures of habit. We, most humans are afraid of change. Most humans are afraid to acknowledge that they might need help. So you know, I can give you an example where, again, and it comes down to what you said about 2023. We've also become a society where it's much easier to blame everybody else than to take responsibility and to take ownership. So, well, you did this or this happened or this. No, just because an industry is downsizing doesn't mean that every company is shutting down their doors, right? So, you know, I know that a lot of people lost their job in tech, but the good people don't get let go. Their transfer department, they're told to do this instead because they've jigged the the information. So why are they kept? Because they're innovative. They produce results that are better than everybody else. Every kid grows up playing sports in some capacity or another, but very few become pros. Because the ones that become pros or Olympic athletes are the ones that are willing to wake up every day at 4 a.m. and commit to, to it. I'm not one of them. Clearly, that's why I'm not a professional athlete. But the point is that you have to do that. So in my case, I've learned the psychology. I've studied what's working, what's not working. So. I can look at someone and go, look, if you're sending out hundreds of resumes and you haven't had one interview, you're doing things wrong. It's not that complicated of an equation. And people go, yeah, yeah, this is a good tip. And this is a good idea. Like the tip I gave about in, you know, Indeed or anything like that. But, and again, I, I go on lots of podcasts. People can listen to bits and pieces of information from different podcasts and do it on their own. And if they're successful, more power to them. By all means, I'm not the only authority. I'm not... There, but if I can make your life easier and faster, why not? Right. So one of my we'll call it interesting scenarios. I had a gentleman that was a product manager in social media that was self-employed for ten years and pretty much ran his business to the grant because he forgot to invoice his own clients. And got to the position (laughs) and got to the position where he needed to get full-time employment because he could not afford rent anymore, kind of thing. Now I was recommended to him by somebody else that I very successfully helped before hiring me, he sent me 36 different documents to explain to me everything that a product manager does. And I looked at him, and said, listen, I've invested 30,000 hours to master everything there's to know about job finding. I know the systems, the tools, the tricks, the tips, the psychology, I don't need these 36 documents. Now from the get-go, and he was very like ego, ego, ego. And like, okay, if you want to work with me, I'm going to coach you. You need to follow my instructions because what you're doing is not working for you. Now, understanding the seven month prior to contact me, he had one interview that never went past the first interview. I wrote his resume and did his LinkedIn profile. And within two and a half weeks, four of the largest social media companies in the world called him for an interview, right? He, Didn't want to listen to my coaching. So for example, one of the companies asked him, how would you improve the email, like any of the email servers? His answer was, they're all great. There's nothing to be improved. When he called me and said that to me, I'm like, no, this is like, you never say that answer. What you should have said is that let's say Hotmail used to be one of the best email addresses in North America. For some reason, their filters always, or send most emails to junk mail now. And they haven't upgraded their ability to to have attachments in their files. So if I was a product manager, I would, first of all, change the settings so that emails don't go to junk anymore. And then I would increase the file transfer from the 25 megs that they've had for so long to like 150 megs to compete with WeTransfer or Dropbox. And he looked at me and goes, yeah, that's genius. That's what I should have said. Yes, that's why you hired me as your coach, right? Now need just to say, after the four interviews, he didn't get the job because, you know, he screwed up the interview. They asked for technical proof and he waited two weeks to send it and they looked at him and said, You know, we're the biggest social media company in the world or one of the biggest. We don't wait for you for two and a half weeks. And then he had the audacity To tell me that I didn't do my job because he didn't get hired. I said, let me see if I understand this correctly. You've been looking for seven months and had one interview. I did your resume and your LinkedIn profile. And within two and a half weeks, four of the largest social media companies in the world. And when I say largest, some of them are in the trillion kind of largest, right? Called you for an interview. You refused to listen to my coaching and I didn't do my job as your coach. And this ties into your 2023 be where people feel like they're entitled. Like, okay, I went to school. You owe me. I should be the CEO of the company because I went to college university for four years. Have you owned a business? Have you earned the right to to say you're CEO? And, you know, everybody wants to get to that fast. But Like, look, don't get me wrong. If you're good, you'll get paid for it. But this mindset of, you know, like... The last time I posted a job, and this is why I now do more headhunting than I post jobs, I had a company and I need a Python React developer. And I put in bold, in red, highlighted in yellow, in like this big, must have five years of Python and Re- React, okay? And then the rest of the job description was the typical size 10, 11, 12 that most job descriptions are. I got 150 resumes of people that said, I'm graduating in 2023, right? Can my first job be $140,000 out of the gate? I have two months of Python. Now, I'm a big supporter and believer of people that are proactive. Now, if someone says, I haven't worked in Python or React, but I've been coding on my own and uh, these are the projects I've done and this is what these kind of the results that they've produced, I would give you time of day. But if you say to me, I have two months of school experience in Python, I'm sorry, this big bolded red highlighted must have 5 years as the first top sentence of the job description you're wasting my time right and my experience is that most people read the job title they don't actually read the job or because unfortunately a lot of job descriptions are also very generic so they're like oh we need someone who's high energy and you know enthusiastic and people read really to go oh my god that's me again but unless you can quantify your enthusiasm or your this, it's kind of like saying that you're hardworking or, you know, one of my favorite excellent communication skills. I have met plenty of people that have horrible communication skills, but are gainfully employed, right? So, so how do you measure excellent communication skills? If I compare that to some of the people that I admire and follow, like Les Brown, Les Brown as a motivational speaker has made tens of millions if not hundreds of millions of dollars doing what he does compared to him i don't have excellent communication skills because i'm not in that category yet however i teach public speaking and debate and i've gone through toastmasters to minimize my filler words like um and or like you know etc and i'm try to choose my words very carefully i remember when i was in recruiting and i had a candidate Chinese, fresh off the boat, worked in accounting. Started the interview with him. I said, What do you like most about accounting? He said, Accounts payable, accounts receivable, reconciliation. I'm like, Okay, great. What do you like the least about accounting? Accounts payable, accounts receivable, reconciliation. Okay. (laughs) What's the easiest part about accounting? (laughs) Accounts payable, accounts receivable, reconciliation. What's the hardest part about accounting? Accounts payable, accounts receivable. That's the only three words he learned. I stopped the interview and I said to him, Listen, Unless you're planning and working for a Chinese company, no one is going to hire you or take you seriously because you don't understand basic English. Go study English, come back to me and I'll help you find a job. He actually came back six months later and said, you were the only recruiter that was honest with me. Can you please test my English and help me get a job? I tested his English. It was great. And two weeks later, we found him a great kind of opening role that recognized his skills. Right, so excellent communication skill is almost as redundant as saying IT or almost as redundant as saying business because they're so broad that they can mean anything, right? So make sure that if you're saying that you know something, again, if you've read about it, you've, even if you've seen hours of videos to understand certain themes and concepts, that's fine, right? But like this is where I stay in my lane. If someone says to me, hey, I'm bipolar, can you cure me? Because you're a career coach. My answer is no, I'm not educated enough on psychology this to there. I can recommend some books, I can recommend some resources that have helped me or other people that I know manage their life. Now, if someone came to me and said, you know, I'm bipolar, can you help me write a letter to my employer that explains the symptoms of an episode when I'm bipolar so that I don't get fired? Yes, I can do that because I've been doing this for 20 years. I know the legalities and the lingo. I'm not a lawyer, but enough to kind of go, here's correctly said without legalities of, you know, if these things happen in sequence, please understand I'm having an episode. I am not myself. It's a medical issue. Da, 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 da. And please either do or say this. That will help me relax and kind of recenter and come back kind of thing, but not here. And, you know, there. this is where as a, I purposely call myself a resume whisperer rather than a career coach. Yes, I do career coaching as part of that, but I want people to understand I'm not the same as everybody else. I'm not going to tell you, you know, yes, your resume is written technically correct with all the words. I'm purposely going to tell you, here's where I see gaps. Here's where I don't know because if, like, Blake, you and I are just meeting now, if I looked at your resume and you said you did reports, if you haven't quantified the reports for me, I will assume that you did a two-page report. Whoop-de-doo. You're a high school kid that gave me a two-page report kind of thing, right? So no disrespect to you. It's just that people will always assume the lowest common denominator kind of thing. So unless you told me what the reports are, if you created macros and templates, if you had complex calculations in them, right? I don't know the level of work that you, you do or don't. Like, you know, when my wife and I decided to buy a house, we looked at the neighborhood. We said, we like the bedrooms are big. We like the kind of location. It's close to good schools. It's close to her mom, my mom, et cetera. If I compare that to a real estate analyst that looks at the crime rate, that looks at the salary, that looks at you know what other developments are occurring there, both in the residential and the commercial for the property value to increase, there's a lot more detail that an analyst looks at than someone who's you know, just buying a home to live in kind of thing. But those are the details that you need to communicate on your resume to show, and in an interview, that you're better than everybody else that's trying to do what you're trying to do kind of thing, or that you're a better fit that company because you also culturally are understanding.
1: Yeah, I think there is a push towards a lot of the hiring and maybe we can bring this back to interviews as well in that it's my understanding that a lot of, especially larger companies now have such a regimented way that they go through their hiring process now in terms of covering themselves in case there is some sort of litigation that they can prove that we hired this person because they are empirically better for the job than this other person. There's loopholes to that. It's not necessarily that's legal. There's loopholes, but yes. And I guess where I was going with that is, to your point, it sort of leaves out potentially some of those people that might be a good culture fit. So how to... And not to say that we're going to hire people that are terrible at their job just because they're a good culture fit, but I'm sure there's a ton of people that are thinking hey, I'm a B-plus employee, but I think I fit the culture here really well, and I'm not performing as well as maybe this absolute all-star candidate that's a jerk, but interviews well. So how do those B-plus sort of candidates go through an interview and get through that sort of regimented so I'll process? I'll
0: start with the fact that smarter companies are also using various you know, personality psychometrics to kind of determine the fit. But understand that it's all about how you sell yourself. Okay, if you approach someone like this, I'm high, I'm high, I'm I'm, I'm high, I'm I'm I'm, I'm 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 high. Can I get your number? What are your chances? Next, Next to, zero. to zero. They might find no less, slim less to than none, zero. Slim to none is correct because <laughs> they might find you physically attractive, so they might try to give you a chance to do that. Right. It's no different in a job. If you come to a job and say, please, 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 can I get a job? I'm really hardworking. One of two things will happen. Either they'll hire you and they'll pay you nothing because they know you're desperate or they won't hire you because you don't have confidence in yourself. If you come in with confidence, you know, and you're speaking about, so like when I teach people about job finding, I say, use power words like proud, significance. If you're proud of something, your shoulder blades will be back. Your chest will be out. You'll be speaking from your diaphragm, not, you know, like I ask people, like, for example, a very common interview question is, you know, what are your three strengths? Everybody says they're hardworking, dedicated, committed team player, blah, blah, blah. So I modify the question. I ask people, Blake, if I were to meet one of your close friends and ask them to describe you in three or four words, is if they're setting you up on a date. How would they describe you, okay? Would you like to answer that or would you just like me to give you the analy- analysis?
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I think, I mean, probably... Remember, for a date, not for the job. For a date is... I'm like in my own head about this now. So off the bat, I
0: can tell you <laughs> that you're extremely analytical and you obviously, you often get stuck in analysis paralysis.
1: Yeah, okay, that's fair. Again, um, it's one question and you haven't yeah, even answered I, it to me yet. So I yeah, won't I put know. you
0: on the spot uh, for this, but here's the thing. For example, if you were to say to me... That's fair. I'm outgoing and I'm energetic and I'm bubbly. And that's how you say to me, no, you're not. If you're outgoing, you're energetic, you're like, Oh, I'm so I'm outgoing. And there'll be a level of enthusiasm in your, in your voice, right? For a date, if you're hardworking, you know, It's a horrible (laughs) thing, right? So if you emphasize the highlight reels, not just, yeah, I know how to do this. You have to understand, unless you're applying to be a brain surgeon or other extremely technical positions, you're not being hired for a technical. As a recruiter, I can tell you that if you have 60%, percent six zero of the technical qualifications that my clients look for, I consider you to be an excellent candidate. Because if you're missing, let's say, a particular technology, like let's say you're an architect or an engineer and you know how to do Revit, but you don't know how to do AutoCAD, if your personality is there and the culture is there, I'll pay for you to study AutoCAD. And with all the free resources that exist today, anyhow, you know, the company might already have some resources to go that you can watch in there. At the end of the day, if you know how to use Revit, Revit and AutoCAD function the same way. The shortcut buttons and the some of the functionalities differ where AutoCAD can obviously do more in depth and different angles of 3D. But if it's construction software, it's construction software. There's just, you know, so there's a level where if you can express correctly. So the way that I usually tell people to think about it is if you're lucky enough to be in a relationship, when you come home and your partner says, how was work? I'm not talking about the days where like, oh yeah, I did my work today. But when you come and say, you'll never guess, like the manager came and told me that we need to solve this. And it's like the most complicated thing ever. And I thought about it the whole day. I thought about it for three days, whatever it is. And I came up with the most brilliant solution. I'm like, we're going to do this, this, and it's going to save the company hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, you know, I'm so proud of it. That. That's what you need to share in your resume and on your interview. Not, yeah, I know how to do engineering, or I know how to, how to do this. You know, and this is where most people don't think about the qualification, the qualifying of what they do, right? Like I started this uh, interview with, you know, if you say that you know how to answer the phone as a receptionist, okay, again, you live in North America. My three and a half year old daughter knows how to answer the phone right now because she takes it with her because she knows how to find YouTube and Snapchat and play with my phone, right? That doesn't mean anything to me. But if you can kind of say, here's what I do, Here's the results I produce. Here's the significance of my work. Here's the contributions I made or the achievements. Your listening changes. At the end of the day, the more you focus with examples on the results that you produced, the only thing that should be left at the end of the interview is do they like you or not, rather than can you do the job or not? Because if I need to guess, because if you've given me the lingo and I need to guess if you can do the job, I guarantee you I'm not guessing correct, right? So... I'm going to use, you know, like my T guy, he doesn't have the designations, but he's brilliant. He knows how to solve stuff and he's very resourceful to look at difficult things from different angles to solve it. That's what he needs to highlight. Yes, he's worked for big companies in the past and so forth, but if he highlights, you know, I solved this problem that nobody else did, or I solved this problem, all of a sudden people listen to you differently, right? Right. And again, it's a model of if you look at, you know, if you had to, you know, so again, I force people to think like, Blake, what are your three biggest achievements in your career? And I want you to give me specifics on it. So in your introduction, I built a call center from scratch. I did $2.25 million in less the six months. I sold $860,000 in one month. I, you know, so the numbers tell the story. There's an adage in English that says facts tell story sell. earlier to your saying about coaching and speaking and how to tell your story job finding is no different you need to tell your story to the level that i'm excited about you right you know i alluded to you know if you come like this and say hi 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 there if you read psychology about most women the two things they look for in a guy or a partner are confidence and sense of humor right and i don't mean pick up artistry confidence i'm just talking about just own who you are, you know, because when you do everything else falls into place because if someone goes, Oh, you're a nerd. Yes, I am. Okay. Now that's done. How about we talk about how I use my nerdiness to do this, this, and this, for example. And then it's a different conversation. If I may make this analogy quickly, because it ties into what we're talking about. Most engineers are not known for their bubbly personality, right? So if an engineer goes on a date, And a woman says, so what do you do? And the engineer says, oh, a mechanical engineer that works in thermodynamics and quantum physics calculating the discombobulation of blah, blah, blah. Chances are the reaction will be, "Uh uh-huh, that's nice. And the date is pretty much done, okay? Now, if an engineer can then use my system and go, I'm a mechanical engineer. I was working on this problem to deal with water pressure for like two weeks, and I just... Found this most brilliant, amazing solution that's going to save the company a hundred thousand dollars, and I'm super excited about that. Different reaction because now,
1: Much right? But story. now
0: you've kind of shown that you can produce results, that you're proactive, that you're this, and it's not a conversation that's overwhelming or scary. It's an everyday conversation. So, like, so how did you solve it? If the person is genuinely interested, right? Oh, that's cool. So you work on solving. Like water pressure uh, calculations? Yeah. Right? Awesome. And what do you do for fun? Okay. But there was an easy transition. If you start talking about thermodynamics and quantum physics and discombobulation, You're using words that people are like, right? (laughs) So understand that this, and this ties into what you're saying about the 2023 and this, like, you know, younger generation is all about texting and they think that emojis is a conversation. I have yet to meet anybody that has been married because somebody sent them the correct emoji kind of thing, (laughs) (laughs) right? Or gotten a job because they used emojis on their post kind of thing. So there are, you know, I find... The younger generation has lost the art of conversation and the art of common sense. Unfortunately, common sense has become less and less common for people. And we've also gone so far to the left where it's not my fault; it's everybody else's. And there's no responsibility. Like, hey, I screwed up. Like, take ownership of that. That's how you're going to become a leader: is own, own it. Right? When my brother, my brother also studied mechanical engineering, couldn't get a job. And my dad helped him get a role in construction. And my brother made a $2 million mistake. He poured the wrong concrete. Right. But rather than trying to pretend, he came to the VP and said, listen, I made a huge mistake here. I poured the wrong concrete. I am so sorry. Manager was pissed, but looked at like the VP was pissed, but said, did you learn something? He said, yes. Make sure you're more diligent next time. Go do your work. And that was that. And that was the conversation. He didn't get fired. He actually got more responsibility because he wasn't trying to hide or pass the puck or, you know. Blame, blame he came in and said i made this mistake i take ownership of it you know how many people do that today in jobs and in relationships in this it's like you know we're all human we all have our own listening you know m&m in his song i am who you say i am if you say i'm smart i'm smart if you say i'm funny i'm funny if i tell you jokes and you're not laughing at my jokes blake i'm not funny to you period if i'm giving you tips for job finding and you're like yeah these tips are kind of meh i'm not an expert to you that's fine i respect that i like you know everybody has different listening everybody has different, you know, influences that affects their listening, but be open-minded that there's more than one way to see it. And that's why I said, I'm not the only coach. I'm not the only expert, but make sure that the expert matches or understands your situation, for example, right. And doesn't just call themselves an expert. For sure.
1: Well, I want to be respectful of your time here, but I have a final question that I like to ask all my guests. And that is, what's the last thing that you changed your mind about? (laughs)
0: I change my mind things daily. Like at the at the end of the day, there is conversations like for example, right now I'm working on an email campaign on LinkedIn. So far I haven't had the response or at all. So I've done it for a month, it hasn't worked, so now I'm going, Okay, time to change direction and try a different campaign, right? At the end of the day, I know there is hundred and fifty million people that need my help. I'm not fooling myself in that I would Help all 150. But even if I can help, let's say, 2 million people level up, right? And invest in themselves, I'm serving the world and I'm making this world a better place because I'm creating hope, I'm creating inspiration. And so there's a level of this is the conversation, this is the way that I want to show up, right? So changing my mind is like, hey, should I do this campaign? No, I tried this marketing campaign, it didn't work. Okay, you know, let's do it differently. Like I tried to be on TikTok and tried to be. And then I realized I'm targeting white collar professionals that have five years of experience. They're not on TikTok. Why am I wasting money and time on TikTok? It's not, I'm not looking for high school kids to be my clients, right? So change my mind and focus that. You know, there's again, there's big and small decisions at the end of the day. I have faith that God will provide and God will lead me in the right direction. And so, you know, even the hard things happen for a reason, right? Like, Next week, I'm going to do surgery on my shoulder. I have a torn labrum right now. And as much as I'm going to be out of commission for two to three months, I'm focusing on the fact that I have a beautiful three and a half year old daughter and a one and a half year old son. And it sucks that they're young. And for the next two months, I'm not going to be necessarily be able to hold them or lift them. But I'm thinking long term that, you know, as my kids grow up and they want to do some sports with that or they want to go on a hike or there, I'm going to be strong enough to play and enjoy and spend quality time with them. And so I'm certain that this is the right decision. And while, you know, recovering, I will reevaluate what needs to be done with the business and how it needs to be done. And I kind of think <laughs> that's, that's the reality of the world, right? And, you know, some decisions pay off, some decisions don't.
1: Perfect. Joseph Stetter, where should we send those 2 million people that you're going to have So help? my name's Joseph Stetter
0: very easy. My company name is called The Celebrate Group. You can find me on pretty much any social media platform. I will respond relatively quickly and set up an initial call and people can, you know, usually I try to give them at least free advice and hopefully they understand the value I'm delivering. Kind of like, as you said, they understand that even if you pay two grand, but I get you an $80,000 job and I get it to you in significantly less time, you're going to make back the two grand in your first paycheck kind of thing. So it's a model of people understanding the importance of guidance and having somebody from the outside looking in and saying this, like, I have five different mentors that I speak to. Why? Because they want to help me level up. They're not in my business. So they have a much clearer perspective. As a coach and as an expert, I'm not applying for the job, but I can tell you what might be costing you the job. Something as simple as, did you ask any questions at the end of the interview? Oh, I have no questions. Congratulations! You didn't get the job, right? Because you didn't ask any questions at the end. And it, you know, it sounds silly, but it it does weigh. For example, you know, you say the wrong things. You know, you spend thirty minutes talking about music, but it has nothing to do with the job you're applying to because you're trying to build rapport. Rapport is important, but not for thirty minutes. So that's the reality.
1: Perfect. I love it. Thank you very much for joining me today, and uh, it's been super insightful. And I'm thank you for having me. It's been an honor and a pleasure. And
0: I hope that the tips that I gave today can help individuals move forward. Absolutely. I know they can.